Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk about a, a pretty specific issue, root rot in pulse crops. Now, we're not going to spend our whole show talking about that, but we do want to get to that a little bit today because it's a question that we get quite often from pulse crop producers. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show. we got a whole bunch of them lined up here in the Ag PhD mailbag already. We're going to get to that in just a minute. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, well, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, first question comes to us from Kentucky. This comes from Gayla, who says, uh, we're currently using Enlist technology in our soybeans, and the fields that we've got are bad with a weed that we call sticker weed. We usually have to spray it two or three times. Just wondering uh, if you have an idea of a co- more cost-effective route by the time that, that we spray uh, we end up just damaging beans by driving over so many times. Plus, we got additional herbicide cost. Just curious about sticker weed and what you guys would use. Okay, so there are a lot of things that can be called sticker weed. There's puncture vine and, I mean, a number of similar ones like that. So I don't know exactly which species we're talking about here, and that's the problem. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could just say, oh, yeah, do this for sure, and then you're good to go. But I, I, I will tell you that a big key for stopping any weed is we want to make sure we start clean. So sometimes some of these sticker weeds can be winter annuals. So either tillage or burn down has to get done initially. Otherwise, the stuff is just flat out too big. And one of the, I'll call it complaints that we have about the Enlist beans is they don't have a higher rate of 2,4-D labeled. For example, out in pastures, if I want to go spray two quarts of four-pound 2,4-D, I can. There's no problem. But I can't do that in the soybeans. I can only spray one quart of a four-pound material. So what I, where I'm going with this is one a one-quart rate will kill weeds that are of a certain size, usually pretty small. <laughs> all right? If you've let weeds get ahead of you at all, you got no chance with a one-quart rate, though. You'd need the two-quart rate, and you can't legally do that in the soybeans. There is also such a thing, though, as you could combine Liberty and 2,4-D. And so my suggestion, if stuff starts to get ahead of you a little bit on these sticker weeds, is I'd try that combination. Now, I know, at least for this year, it'll be expensive. But that price is going to be coming down on, on the Liberty moving forward. So it'll it'll get to be much more cost-effective, my assumption is, in two or three years. But for this year, you're going to spend some money. But if you got some bad weeds, I mean, hopefully it's not a, a real big area or anything like that, but that's the direction I'd go as a combination of Liberty and 2,4-D, Liberty and Enlist 1, basically, in Enlist soybeans. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Landon down in northwest Oklahoma. Guys, most of my soils are around half a part per million in zinc, and I've been increasing my phosphorus levels in my soil that are now up to 40 to 50 parts per million, rate Malik 3. I want to raise my zinc levels to kind of match up to that, and I've got a third tank in my commodity cart. Do you see an issue with putting 5 to 10 pounds of zinc sulfate banded with my wheat seed at planting time? 
I know the small amount of sulfur will be fine, but I wanted to make sure a few pounds of actual zinc wouldn't cause any problem. I'd like to do this for a few years to take care of my zinc deficiencies. I'll be putting 50 to 80 pounds of MAP out with the seed as well. I'd rather not use the MEZ-type products because they don't have enough zinc to fix my deficiency, yeah. and they're more expensive per unit of phosphorus. Okay, I understand what you're doing here. At 0.5 part per million on zinc, that's absolutely hurting your yield, especially when you're 40 to 50 parts per million on phosphorus. But here's my concern, not it, and it's not really the seed safety thing. The seed safety, I think you're going to be okay. It's not that big a deal. But what I do worry about a little bit is you're you're banding high rates of phosphorus. Now, I you, I didn't he didn't say what his row spacing was there, correct? So I don't know if we're talking nope. seven, ten, whatever. But anyway, still, it's going to be different than if we were doing corn. So I'd worry more about the banding effect. If we were on 30-inch centers as opposed to 7-inch or 10-inch, or I, I, I'm assuming we're drilling here. Anyway, uh, so it's probably okay, but I will just say this. We like to broadcast things that aren't going to move well in soil and when we're on a build program. So, for example, phosphorus and zinc are two of the nutrients that move the least in soil. So when you place zinc or you place phosphorus in a certain spot, it's stuck there. It is there. And the only way it's moving is with tillage. I mean, sure, water will move it just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit, but not much. So that's why we got to be a little bit careful with what we're doing, because my fear is if you do some soil testing in the future and you hit a spot where you put all that zinc down versus if you don't, well, your test results are going to look totally differently. So the big thing is, I just say in the future, if you do this method, just make sure you pull, pull plenty of soil cores randomly in the field for each grid point or zone point where you soil sample. In other words, don't just take, go out and, oh, I just pulled one spot and literally that's it and I sent that in for analysis. No, pull preferably 10 or 12 cores in that one area. A lot of times we say eight is good enough, but in your case, you might want to go to 10 or 12 cores for each sample. That way, hopefully you'll get the average as opposed to hitting a bad spot or hitting a, a spot where it's fantastically high in zinc. All right. Thanks for that question. Yeah. Just earlier today, I had one comment that I wanted to bring up. I was talking with an agronomist down in Northwest Iowa, Larry he said, guys, you need to talk more about planting depth. I'm noticing with a lot of my uh, farmers that I work with, I'm seeing shallow planting depth and corn shallow. really hurting them out in yep. fields. And this year, he goes, we've been dry and even shallow depth on soybeans has been really horrible. Yep. Uh, oftentimes, I'll see even just one row on a 12-row planter that's off and it leads to a mess out in the field. Thanks for that comment, Larry. We'll definitely talk about planting depth more as time goes on, but you're right. Whenever we have a stressful year, anything we did wrong added stress and is certainly visible in fields today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If we only had 20 words to talk about Ag Biome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com Hypro. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. It's always fun starting off with mailbag questions. We had a bunch of questions already that we've hit uh, everywhere from weed control to fertility to, to even planter settings. Uh, I love that's the fun part about the radio show when when you do a live show and you take calls and questions you just never know what's going to come in so today we're going to be talking a little about root rot and pulse crops but of course any topic as we've already shown is is up for grabs that we could take oh uh brand had one more uh, this one came in from ol about corn nutrient deficiencies he he said i'm from sri lanka i'm, I'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right or sri lanka but yeah whatever there you go. he said i'm just wondering i've got corn in a field now can I plant that same crop again as soon as I'm done harvesting? And if so, sure. how long do I have to wait before I can immediately put that crop back in? And would it be different if I planted something other than corn? Sure. So alfalfa, for example, actually emits a chemical into the ground that is going to hurt the next crop. So it... Uh, so I'd just say that allelopathy or that allelopathic effect that that alfalfa leaves means if you've had alfalfa in the ground for a couple, three years and you go, yeah, I want to put more alfalfa in. No, you don't want to do that right away. <laughs> you want to either let it sit for quite a while or raise another crop or something like that. So yes, there are certain crops where you can't go ahead and do that. Corn, you certainly could. Soybeans, you certainly could. Wheat, you could. But I would say we talk often about the green bridge and that we want to break that green bridge. In other words, we'd like to have nothing growing, preferably, for a couple of weeks from one going from one crop to the other. If we can, you don't have to do this, but that helps break the disease cycle and it helps break the insect cycle. And, and mites, too, is another thing that we've dealt with on our farm raising continuous crop. So... 
I, I, I mean, there, there are advantages to having that ground be have nothing growing, either through tillage or herbicide. We want nothing growing there for a couple of weeks, and then usually you're in a little bit better shape. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. And uh, get back into our today's topic, root rot in pulse crops. we got Kirk Sager up with us right now. Uh, Kirk is with FMC out in the state of Washington. How you doing, Kirk? Pretty good, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on today. You bet. Yeah, we gave you an easy topic today, right? I mean, just a total solution for all root rots and pulse crops. That sounds like it shouldn't be that hard, Kirk, but why is it so tough? Well, I, I think you let into it pretty easily, you know, with the green bridging and pulse crops because we tend to put them in early. It's cold. It's wet. There's a potential for green bridge, like you were saying. And, I mean, it's just not a happy time to be in the ground. It's cold and wet. And uh, um, so it is, it's not the easiest problem to solve. I mean, a quality seed treatment goes a long ways. And, and moving to a, um, an inferral fungicide, um, such as the one or you know, we've got a biological fungicide in Ethos XB that does a great job suppressing and adding to the seed treat for you know, seedling disease uh, control. Um, so when we look at this whole package, we want to think of doing more than just a seed treat for the tough conditions. Yeah, I, I like I like that thought, Kirk, and that's a great way to start things off here because, you know, with almost every problem we have, whether it's a weed or an insect or a disease, we're always looking at, okay, how can we take multiple swings at this thing? So even if we're 90% the first swing, well, that only leaves 10% left. And if we can be 90% again, now we got 1% left. And if we can do even better than 90%, uh, we get a lot further. So I like the idea, starting off with something in the furrow, starting off with seed treatment uh doing the best we can up front now if if we still have problems can you rescue things post-emerge or are you already looking at okay how do i manage for the next crop um i think one if you've impulses if you have missed that seedling window you've missed stand you've got a weak plant um you know something like green peas or yellow peas are a little more resilient than lentils chickpeas are a little more resilient but if you've missed the stand you've missed everything and which goes back to let's put our best foot forward out of the gate i mean whether it's fungicide whether it's a pop-up fertilizer and furrow to get those plants the best and healthiest start they can get I know a lot of folks talk about crop rotation and how we've got to get away from those pulse crops for a little while. What do you normally recommend? How many years do you like to see in between? Um, I I guess it depends on what it comes down to. What are your options? Um, you know, I, I like two years, a three a three to four year rotation, um, but a lot of times that's not an option. Um, you know, based based on where you're at. Um, you know, but one crop or say if you're a wheat pea guy you know rotating the barley or changing that 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 biological matrix a little bit um can help um but i don't think there's a magic answer on how many years you have to be out before you can go back to pulses i think it's um weed management and something like lentils is important so that might take you a little longer um but I, I I don't think there's a real magic answer. I would I would say three years. That's my opinion. Um, but I know a lot of guys are every other year, so I don't want to tell them you can't do that either. 
All right, I got to ask you the question, Kirk. Uh, a lot of our guys who are pulse crop guys say, "Man, we hear you talking about the Zyway fungicide in corn, for example, and getting that that good movement up in plants." Do you see something like that coming for pulse crop down the road? Um, I don't have a magic ball to look into our pipeline. I, I guess I don't have enough to look into our pipeline future with regards to the fungicides. I know when we look at Zyway, it behaves differently in monocots versus dicots. So probably not going to see it in peas anytime soon. Um, and part of that goes back to the risk cup and the fact that I don't believe we have a tolerance in dry, or dry peas or chickpeas for it. So um, right as of now, we don't have anything that looks like Zyway in pulse crops. We do have a couple other fungicides we're bringing to market for rhizot control, but I don't believe they're as systemic as uh, the Zyway molecule is. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what comes down the road at this point. I love what you're saying, Kirk Sager, about crop rotation, multiple shots at these uh, root rots, infrared fungicide, good seed treatment, the whole package to to try to manage through it. Uh, Talking again with Kirk Sager out in the state of Washington with FMC. Kirk, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet. Let's head down to Tennessee. we got Eddie on with us right now. Eddie, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Uh, just trying to get some things wrapped up before we start harvesting our nubbing crop of corn. But I'm spraying pastures, and we have, I think they call them colliery pear, which is a Bradford pear mutated version with thorns on it or something in my pastures real bad. And I guess my one question is, what do you recommend to use? And number two our university doesn't want us to use our crops, big crop sprayers to put it out with, but having a secondary sprayer is is becoming an issue. And, I mean, I see y'all on your program a lot of times you're talking about spraying pastures, and I see you spraying with your big, uh, your big rig, but is that a problem if you clean it up good? Well, you certainly can do a good job with tank clean-out and spray boom clean-out. The challenge gets to be just driving in some of those pastures. They get to be rough ground, and I know... Uh, for some guys around us, they like to do stuff with a four-wheeler sprayer or a, a small pull-behind sprayer or something like that. But, yeah, it kind of depends on what you got out there. Can, can you clean out a sprayer well enough? I think you sure can. You just got to be really fussy. And the other thing is do it right away. If stuff gets dried on, stuck on the sides of tanks, or especially when you get down in that boom and in the nozzles and that kind of stuff, that's where you can run into problems. But I don't doubt that they've seen some issues with uh Poor clean out, no doubt. Yeah, so these pears that you're talking about, uh, calorie pear, uh, it, it, yeah, it's tough to control. Triclopyr, uh, like Remedy Ultra or Vastlan, those are the number one things most people talk about. But then they also will usually, <laughs> where they can, throw a little bit of Roundup in with it, a little bit of glyphosate. So, uh, Eddie, we're up against a break right now, but if you could hang on for just a little bit, I got a couple more questions for you, and then we want to finish up by hopefully getting you a good answer here. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. 
Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking a little about root rot and pulse crops, but also answering your calls and questions. So right before the break, Eddie from Tennessee called in and said, what do I do with these calorie pears or Bradford pears? It's a tough problem, Eddie. We get it. Here are my couple of questions for you. One, is it possible to go in and cut these things off? Because that's what a lot of people will do. I mean, these are a tree. So like on uh, on our farm, when we have invasive trees start to get in, we just manually go cut them off. Is that an option for you? Well, we, you know, they're in our pastures and we bush hog them, but we yep. haven't bush hogged these since this time last year. And from what I read, we need as much foliage on there as possible to to spray over the top. Now, yep. of course, a roundup is going to kill my grass. Right. And that's not an option, but yep. I'm after something that will 
take the tree out. Yeah, about the only thing that anybody ever talks about really is triclopyr, and again, that'd be like Vastlan or Remedy Ultra, and those products can be sprayed by plane. So if you want to, or helicopter, whatever, if you want to have something done aerially, that certainly can be done. Um, yeah, a person could go out with a, uh, a ground rig. That's what we do in our pastures. I mean, we've got some relatively steep slopes that we deal with. We still go through it with the ground rig, but I mean, either way, whatever you decide to do, you can spray it by ground or by air. And the triclopyr is going to be good. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be a hundred percent on everything, but it's really going to knock them back. It 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 should be it should do a pretty decent job for you. Otherwise, what a lot of people will talk about is if they only have a few and they can manually go do this, they'll go cut them, and then they'll coat that stump. Some people will use Tordon. Personally, I've always liked Tordon over the years, but this triclopyr could be painted on the stump or sprayed directly on the stump as well. And then if you're only spraying on the stump, you could throw a little glyphosate in. It's supposed to help a little bit. I've never really seen that so much, but some people do talk about that. That could be added to the triclopyr. Well, I mean, these these trees are, you know, two foot tall. I mean, it's sure. and the, pretty small. The, uh, just about 60 acres is all I'm going to kind of experiment with, yeah. and, and it's flat land. So, gotcha. so a ground rig and even my big rig will, will handle that fine. But, okay. uh, and, of course, we do use triclopyr on uh, basil bark treatment in the yeah. in the springtime on yep. bigger stuff in the fence rows. But yes. uh, these here are just sprung up out there, and rather than just keep clipping them off, keep clipping them off, and, yeah. of course, they keep coming up, I was wanting to try to do something to... Yes. Kind of get headed in the other direction with them. Yep. So that's what I would do is spray that whole pasture with triclopyr. Now, the disadvantage to using that product is it does not have much at all for residual. So you're going to be back at it again after a while unless, I mean, you're able to stop everything and stop these seeds from moving in and stuff. But I don't know what kind of a seed bank you already have out there. Also, you could uh, add some. Birds do that. <laughs> yep. Uh, but you could add some. Uh, some Tordon to the mix if you wanted to. Tordon isn't, uh, you know, recommended in a big way for this, but in my experience, Tordon knocks just about any tree back. So if you get the triclopyr to burn it down, you have Tordon at least to leave for some residual. That would be a pretty good way to go if this is planning to be pasture for many years. I know Pasture Guard was was uh, mentioned by somebody, and it has a different another formulation in it other than triclopyr, so I didn't know. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, so with Pasture Guard, what that's got is starring along with the triclopyr. And starring, in our experience, is not that great for helping helping you out on any woody species. So personally, I, I wouldn't be a huge fan of that. You can try it if you want to. Maybe it'll work better than I think it will for you. But, yeah, starring gets used by wheat farmers for kochia, and that's about it. And it has no residual. Now, it's, it's hey, it's getting hired uh, for an application, so <laughs> yep. I, don't, I don't need to go that route. No, nope, I'd spend my money on the triclip here. All right, thank okay, you. Okay, you bet. Thanks, Eddie. Appreciate it. All right, step back into the Pulse Crap discussion. We were happy to have Shama Chatterton on with us right now. Uh, plant pathologist up at Lethbridge in Alberta. How you doing, Shama? I'm good, thank you. 
All right, we're talking about a tough topic here, root rots and pulses. And I think about identification for farmers that are out doing a little bit of digging out in the fields and, and looking at different things. Uh, we get a lot of talk about aphanomyces, but there's certainly other um, diseases that we want to be aware of. What are some of those key things that you're looking for out in fields? Uh, yeah, like you said, you know, our biggest problem is aphanomyces. Um, but what we found is that aphanomyces is almost always occurring as a complex uh, with other root rot pathogens, um, and it can make identification in the field quite difficult. Um, if you're lucky, you can catch a phanomyces early, very obvious symptoms, usually about uh, four to six weeks after seeding. And now you'll, you'll be looking for honey brown discolorations of, of the root um, that kind of extend and then stop right at the soil line. Uh, when we're looking at other root rot pathogens, particularly fusarium, uh, what we usually find there is roots that look a lot blacker. Uh, you'll see the taproot is completely blackened. Uh, you get loss of the lateral root, so you, it really looks like the whole root's been pruned away and all you're kind of left with is this black stump of a root. Um, when we do see those blackening symptoms, though, it could mean that aphanomyces came in earlier and then fusarium has kind of jumped in after it and it can mask symptoms. Uh, so sometimes, you know, just trying to like, diagnose or identify awesome symptoms can be difficult. You know, we were just talking a little bit uh, before with uh, Kirk Sager down in the state of Washington, and he was saying, man, we got to take multiple swings at this thing. Is it that simple or how, how are you managing this uh, up in Alberta? Uh, yeah, very difficult to manage. Uh, we don't have one uh, single solution or silver bullet for this uh, disease and pathogen complex. Uh, really, the main way that we're managing it right now is by extending uh, rotations away from a pea lentil crop once you know that you have a problem. Uh, so what we recommend is that producers that are interested in putting in a pea and lentil crop uh, do a soil test of that field uh, to make sure it doesn't have aphanomyces. Um, and then if it does, to extend that rotation um, at least six years. But kind of, you know, as we're learning to deal with this and new research is coming out, um, you know, in some fields, six years isn't long enough. And it's, We've seen fields, you know, maybe even eight to 10 years where they still have pretty high inoculum loads. Um, and then some of the other, other recommendations are to use a seed treatment. Uh, we don't have any genetic resistance available yet. There's a lot of research going into that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, with those limited options of having no chemical control and no genetic resistance, we are very limited in what we can do. What are you seeing for... for um research being done on microbial products. Are you finding any of those that are that are playing a part in, in helping fight that disease complex? Yeah, there's a lot of research going into that right now, and it certainly can be a good option. You know, the hope is like the seed treatment products don't last, the chemical seed treatment products only last during that seedling stage. And what, you know, we're really hoping for is that those biocontrol agents uh, can colonize the roots and then grow with the roots. Um, and there certainly are a couple products, I think, out um, available already for biocontrol options. Um, but the trick is, is is understanding kind of the best way to make them work. And, and so far with some field trials that we've done here in Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, haven't seen like huge yield improvements uh, with the use of a biocontrol agent. But I think it's just tweaking 
you know, how the best way to apply them, uh, maybe the best timing, not necessarily a seed treatment product, maybe something like an infuro, uh, uh, row drench, something like that might work better. So I think there's, there's some good prospects there. We're just not quite there yet. No, there's, there's certainly uh, a lot of work to be done, and, and it looks like we're going to be putting all hands on deck here with uh, natural-type microbial products, chemistry, rotation. Uh, like you mentioned, just a lot to, to deal with there. It's been a, been a tough challenge. But thank you for the work that you're doing on it. really appreciate it. We've been reading up a little bit and, and uh, enjoy seeing all the things that are happening out there. It gives us hope. Uh, Shama Chatterton with uh, Lethbridge. Uh, Center up in Alberta. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. been talking a little about root rot in pulse crops. It is a challenging issue, but I just wanted to leave you with a couple of things. One is ethoboxum. So here in the United States, in Tigo, and we use that, for example, on our corn. We in, in, at times have used that on our soybeans. It's labeled for many different crops. But that is labeled for early season suppression of aphanomyces in root rot or aphanomyces root rot in peas and lentils. So it it may not be for all crops or anything, but that does seem to be a pretty good one. And I was gonna say too, we had let's see if I could get my email pull. Yeah, my my email decided to go down on me all of a sudden. All right, now I got it. So uh, Kellen from up in Saskatchewan says. Uh, he sent uh, sent us an email here yeah, during just, the show. I actually just had a conversation with him about this about a week ago, oh, Brian. We okay. were talking about it. Go and ahead. He said they're just having such good luck when they're putting on more sulfur that where <laughs> their sulfur trials have higher rates, they're seeing less disease issues with this. And well, yeah, his email says sulfur, sulfur, and sulfur, then potassium, zinc, plus a strong part per million of copper. Just my experience on the last five years of working with pulses such as lentils, peas, and chickpeas. Hope this helps. Yes, Kellen, uh, we agree with you 100%. Most of the issues that we're going to see in crops, I'm not going to say are going to be solved by, but they're certainly going to be lessened by the fact that we have good fertility out there. If we fix the drainage and we fix any fertility issues, then most things usually do get better. I mean, I relate this so often, plant health to human health. And if you go to the doctor, I mean, what's the doctor going to do? The doctor's going to tell you two things. One, start eating right. Two, reduce stress. Okay, so eating right is basically the fertility we have out there. And reducing stress is all the other stresses that there are in addition to the fertility thing. It's drainage, it's weeds, it's insects, diseases, you name it. We cut everything else down and all of a sudden we got a much healthier plant that can tolerate more of these root rot issues when they do happen to show up. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal, and you know, hearing <laughs> Shama say six years in between peas or lentils, and then that might not even be enough. Wow, that that is that's a scary thing. So you definitely don't want to let it go to that point. And I think, you know, I don't know. I'm just speculating here, Brian. But my guess would be that might be in a situation where nothing was done. There weren't the seed treatments. There weren't the inferro treatments. Those kinds of things are where a rotation got really short, something like that that would have led to that kind of pressure. But but I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing. And then the other thing that, that Shama was saying was that oftentimes they see aphanomyces as a complex with a bunch of other diseases. This is true in almost every crop that I look at. When I get out there and I find one disease so often, if you don't catch it early, you see two or three diseases because now you weaken the plant and everything's going in there and taking it out. All right. Should we jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag? All right. Um, I'll take that as a yes. Go ahead. Yeah, I got one from JC here (laughs) who says, uh, I think that seed varieties are discarded too quickly anymore, where companies pick up a seed line, carry it only for a year or two, and move on. By the time you figure out how to manage that particular variety, a seed company's already moved on, and yep. now you're stuck trying to figure out the next variety. Is this how you see things going forward, yep. or do you think it will ever get better? Nope. I think it's going to be worse. And here's the reason why. 
because the only reason a new variety comes out is the researchers feel it's better. And they now have all these biotech methods. They have, I mean, just the science has gotten so much better. So every year when I talk to researchers, they're, they're super excited about new varieties. And with old varieties, sometimes they'll say, yep, this one's still a really good one. I, we have a tough time getting anything to beat this one. But about 90% of the time they go, oh, yeah, we got a variety that's better than what we just brought out a year or two ago. So that's the reason why. So let, let me flip this around. Because when I was growing up on the farm, we would have a variety for six or eight years. Six or eight years. And so it's real easy. We'd say, well, we're going to test it in our own trials first and see if we like that variety and everything else. Okay, so you can we can go back to that. You can do that uh, with some seed companies right now, not many, but a few. But let's turn this around and say, all right, are you willing to take a 5 to 10 bushel yield hit in corn, or let's call it 2 to 3 bushels in soybeans, just so you're comfortable with whatever varieties the, variety there is? I'm not. So here's the way that we manage around this thing. Because we don't have all the experience, we, we like on our own farm, I want to plant 10 or 12 different numbers of corn every year, at least. And you might say, what? That's crazy. That's so many. Yes, it is a lot because we need to spread our risk. I want to plant almost all new stuff, either new stuff or year old stuff, because I know that's what's going to yield the best. But because I'm not super familiar with any of those, I have to trust the seed company I'm working with. And my trust only goes so far. Let's put it that way. So I, I'm, I just don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. And I'm going to take Whatever seed company I'm working with, I'm going to take their advice and I'm going to try to place things as they want me to and so on and so forth. But still, I just I want to plant lots of varieties. And then even if one fails, I have I know I'm going to have a bunch that are going to hit. So I go, oh, I guess I'm OK. My average is great. And it's better than sticking with old stuff that, let's be honest, it's still dependent on Mother Nature, and something could pop up with an old variety, too, that we haven't seen before. So I'd rather take my chances on newer varieties. That's the way I look at the thing. But you got to plant more varieties is my advice to people all the time. I, I mean, there's some farmers that I work with where they're planting over half the farm to one variety, and I'm going, whoa, no, please don't do that, please. Because later you're going to blame me and say, well, you shouldn't have let me do this. <laughs> when something goes wrong. So I'm I'm trying to get out in front of that. I really don't want to plant more than 10% of my acres to any one variety. And I'm serious. Now, granted, if you have 40 total acres of corn, I'm not suggesting you plant four acres of each variety or anything like that. But I am saying, if you got a lot of corn acres, a lot of bean acres, a lot of, a lot of anything where they're coming new varieties all the time, just plant lots of varieties. And that's how you get around all this. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, get this one from uh, Justin up in North Dakota. He said, guys, I'm currently harvesting spring wheat in North Dakota, running 60 to 70 bushel per acre, but one variety got really big and tipped over badly. I'm wondering about the use of plant growth regulators in the future. Yep. When would you apply them, and do you have to use a separate pass, or could it be done with a herbicide or fungicide? Well, you can mix with some stuff, but not a whole lot. you got to be real careful. I wouldn't put it with another growth regulator, so like a group four, that'd be like a 2,4-D dicamba that overall chemistry so i i would try to avoid a growth regulator uh, 
But yeah, you can just follow the label. Different products are going to suggest different things. But for example, like on our farm, we've used Palisade. I don't have any issue with Palisade, uh, but you got to be careful on when you're spraying it because if you do it at the wrong time, at the wrong rate, it definitely could hurt your yield. So yes, it will shorten the plant up a little bit, and I'll, I'll just read to you right off the label. It'll tell you Fix 4 to Fix 7. And if you want to do a split application, then you do Fix 4 or 5, and then your second application at Fix 7, if you would like to do it that way. Here's the other thing. If you want better stock quality in any crop we're talking about, then look hard at your potassium levels. In the state of North Dakota, we very commonly see very high levels of calcium and magnesium and very low levels accordingly of potassium. Now, I realize compared to somebody with sandy ground in Alabama, you might say, well, I got all kinds of potassium. Well, yeah, compared to them, but not compared to all the calcium and magnesium you have in your soil. You've got to get that ratio up. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. We've been able to prove that out on our farm, and we've proven it out all over the country and all over the world. So you've got to have that potassium up. That's the number one thing for your stock quality, and you can certainly thin out your plants a little bit too. So here's our advice that we use in soybeans, and I would think about this just a little bit too. When we've got our very best ground, sometimes we don't mind cutting the planting population just a little bit. I'm not saying lots, but just a little bit. You could potentially do that in wheat if you wanted to run variable rate seeding. So I, I, I'm not saying that's the answer for sure, but the thicker you make the plants, then the taller they're going to get and the thinner those stalks are going to be. All right, we'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions via email, radio at agphd.com, or phone, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, let's take this one from Wynn, who said, guys, we're up in north-central Washington, elevation 4,000 feet, and our north fence is the Canadian border. Now, our harvest is mid-September into October. Usually, we end up with a lot of high-moisture grain up here. Mm-hmm. Our barley's turning, but it's got a long ways to go. So our temperature will be in the 70s to low 80s for a couple of weeks here. We're curious about a Roundup pre-harvest burndown and just wondering what you would do for a rate of Roundup and an adjuvant to try and get it to work. Uh, okay, but on which crop? Barley. On barley. Okay. He's, I know you said barley, but he said crops, and so that's why I wasn't uh, I wasn't sure. Okay. Um, usually, and I don't even know off the top of my head. I'll look it up on barley to see can you even spray a pre-harvest burndown. Most likely you can, but I got to I got to even check. I, I I would tell you one quart of four pound has typically been the rate. That's about all you can do. And you got to wait until the grain is fully mature. It's it, it's tough. We were talking about this uh, desiccation topic just, I'd say, a week ago here on the show. Um, I always fear that somebody's going to spray too early and actually hurt the yield. So as much as I can, I try to avoid the use of desiccation products, but it certainly could be done. But but yeah, that's that's probably it. Um, beyond that, I'd just say if you have a really healthy crop, it's going to stay greener longer and wetter a little bit longer. Sometimes that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, the flip side of that is hopefully your yield and grain quality is good. But yeah, that's that, that's a little bit concerning. Okay, I uh, get a few questions. Oh, wait, I thought you were going to talk a little bit, and I was going to. Or oh. did you get did you get my well, answer? Well, no, for I me? think you know, I think part of that thing is just the temperature. That having that temperature warmer like that in the daytime is good, but you'll have to watch what the nighttime temperatures is. That's the that's the challenge with elevation is you can get some really cool nights, and that slows that plant down. But if nighttimes are in the fifties and daytimes in the seventies, low eighties, I think you're going to be just fine. You got actively growing plants out there. Okay, so barley, after the hard dough stage, when the grain contains 20% moisture or less. And let's see, I just wanted to see what, yeah, I 
wanted to make sure that I was telling you the right thing. Um, Pre-harvest, okay, for seed too. And this is something that I try to remember to mention all the time. Desiccation on a seed crop, can't do it. Hurts the germination. Um, Otherwise, seven-day pre-harvest interval, and it's 22 ounces of RT3. So that would be the equivalent to 32 ounces of a four-pound material, a four-pound glyphosate, like I was mentioning. So there you go. Since you're limited there, you just got to make sure you got great weather and the right adjuvants. Yeah, but... I mean, if you're spraying after the hard dough stage when the grain contains 20% moisture less, it's like, ah, what are we really gaining here? You're you're just about to the end anyway. So I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you can certainly try it if you want to, but just be careful. Follow the label. All right. Got a few questions here from Bradley, and they all revolve around what can I spray uh, to kill some of these weeds out of my ditch as well as spraying out in the field. He said, I've been spraying my fields with a dicamba and prowl combo, uh, but I was thinking about switching from prowl to sulfentrazone. So if I did mm-hmm. put that over the ditch as well, will that sulfentrazone kill the grass species out there? Will it be helpful on broadleaf species? What what would it, you expect? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure that the sulfentrazone you're going to spray is not going to be labeled to spray in your ditch. Let's say that it was. Is it really going to hurt those perennial grasses? It might ding them up just a little bit, but sulfentrazone's not the greatest grass product out there. Instead, if it's me, and here's how we handle this, we will go and we'll spray the new 2,4-D, so Freelex, Enlist 1 is the uh, product you use in crop, but Freelex is basically the same thing. It just doesn't have uh, one extra drift retardant that the Enlist 1 has. But anyway, use Freelex. The new 2,4-D doesn't volatilize. We don't have a lot of drift issues or anything. Obviously, you got to be careful where the wind's out of and all that. But we spray that in our ditches, and that works quite well. Yeah, I get it. Where you're probably focused is the first, let's call it 10 feet outside your crop, your first 10 feet as you're working your way into the ditch. And let's say the ditch is 30 feet or 20 feet or whatever it is. It's that first little spot, especially where there's no crop, might be black right in between there. And you go, yeah, that's where the weeds are getting started. That's what I see personally too in most fields. This is also why it's nice when you don't have to have fences there. We've taken a lot of our fences out and that's helped us with weed control so we can hang the boom over a little bit more. But what we will do a lot of times is we will just spray the straight product. So if it was dicamba or 2,4-D or whatever, just the straight product that's labeled for both the, the ditch and the crop, hang that out over the edge, get that sprayed, and then you're in pretty good shape. So that's what I would do rather than thinking about, oh, sulfentrazone or any of these you know residual kind of products. There just aren't a lot that are going to be labeled for both crop and pasture or ditch i should say all right thanks for the questions uh get this one from diego down in argentina he said uh guys i i had a discussion with an expert in soil fertility and she claims if you put zinc in the same place of phosphorus that the zinc won't be available for the plant. It'll become zinc phosphate, and the plants can't use it. No. What do you think about that, and uh, I guess how would you approach it? 
No. If that was true, then what we would find when we put zinc and phosphorus together is that we'd be really short on zinc in our plant tissue analysis, but when we put a fair amount of zinc out there with the phosphorus, we find that the tissue levels are higher with yeah. the zinc. I don't know so. if it's the placement as much as when you look at Mulder's chart, you see, hey, if I've got way too much phosphorus, my plant's yes. not getting enough zinc. Yes. If I have way too much zinc, my plant's not getting phosphorus. Right. So I wonder if there's just a little confusion there with, yes. with that. I agree. But no, we we got to get our levels up on zinc to be appropriate in ratio with phosphorus. Otherwise, we're going to have problems like Darren just laid out. Okay. A number of concerns here around drought and corn and what to do with it. I uh, got this one from KT. Would silage be a good option? We see uh, different kinds of molds and um, smut and that kind of stuff. Well... Yeah, if you're going to have mold and smut and things, then that's not that's not real great for feed. So I would talk to whoever's going to buy this feed and talk to a nutritionist, and you can test this stuff if you want to and start chopping some things up and see. A lot of times the biggest thing we do worry about, though, is the high nitrate levels. Okay, and that and, leads me to the next oh, okay. question. This one comes from AD. What about grazing drought-stressed crops like that? Do you worry about nitrates? Yep, yep, we do. It's usually in the lower part of the plant, though. So here again, you can work with a nutritionist, and you can test the parts of the plant and see where you're at. But a lot of times, like in our area, if it's really bad drought, then they'll just cut the silage a little bit higher. Now, <laughs> I realize the plant's already a lot shorter to begin with, and you go, wait a second here. I'm going to cut it higher, and I got a much shorter plant to start. Yes and yes. So it just means you don't have a lot of tonnage, I know. The other thing that can be done is the bad stuff can be blended with the good stuff, but that does take a little work, and you got to make sure it's done right so you don't have any livestock issues. All right, another question that's been coming up. Uh, I had a couple of responses to this. Um, talking about should you order your ag chemicals now? You guys are kind of indecisive here. Either hold off or buy now, depending on how you feel. Well, what do you guys think? Is there a smart move on this? As a general statement, buying ag chem in September is almost always a good thing. Roundup and Liberty, personally, do I think they're coming down? Yeah, I do. Those are the ones that went up the most last year. If you look at most things, though, most things only went up 10%. Well, this year they're talking about going up another 5 to 10%. So for a lot of these other things, I would say... You know, uh, buying now probably be a decent idea, but I don't think there's going to be anything dramatic one way or the other. But of course, who knows what's going to happen in the world? And that's the problem right now. When you when you have lower supply levels, then you're just at the mercy of any bad weather event, any bad thing that would happen with logistics, any country shuts down, some new disease, you know, I mean, all this stuff. So in another year, I think we'll have the supply chain built up so much that we don't have as much fear anymore. And even now, our supplies today in the U.S. for AgChem sitting a lot better than they were a year ago today. Thanks for those questions and that feedback. We really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.